You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It is Sunday, the 15th of January, 2023. The time now is 10.05. Welcome to the Weekend World Show with Asan Ahmadi. Listening live on Voice of Islam, on DAB Radio, mobile and online, 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from the Bethel Fatu Mosque in Morden. The Weekend World Show is a current affairs show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective. Promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and topics of faith and enlightenment. A message of Islam for the West. Why not join us and share your views or stories by phoning 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are, are those of the individuals and guests. To start off, a thought for our listeners. The Holy Quran says, we prescribed for the children of Israel whatsoever killed, whosoever killed a person, unless it be for killing a person or for creating disorder in the land, it shall be if he had killed all mankind. And whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all mankind. And our messengers come to them with clear signs, yet even after that, many of them commit excesses in the land. Chapter 5, verse 33. This verse reminds me, uh, or is a reminder for the Muslims, do not err from the path of guidance of Allah Almighty, as others have done previously. Why then have certain groups who claim to be Muslims haven't taken heed? In Burkina Faso on Wednesday, a group of so-called jihadists felt they would enter a place of worship, a place where Ahmadi Muslims had gathered to offer their Isha Salat and killed nine innocent people for no crime other than they believed in the Mahdi and the Second Messiah, the claims of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. The gathered worshippers, including men, women and children, who were threatened to either renege their beliefs or never return to the mosques, to their mosque. All but nine elders were forced to leave the mosque or face death if they ever returned. The nine remaining elders were taken to the courtyard of the mosque and forced to renounce their belief. But when the nine refused, one by one, their life was taken away. Inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun. To Allah we belong and to Him we return. Every murder or other injury, no matter what the cause, committed or inflicted on another is a crime against humanity. This is what Mahatma Gandhi said. We are extricating ourselves from a system that insulted our common humanity by dividing us from one another on the basis of race and setting us against each other as oppressed and oppressor. The system committed a crime against humanity. Nelson Mandela. These gentlemen are thoughts of uh, what happened in Burkina Faso, an evil act. And on this morning's show, we shall, inshallah, God willing, <coughs> be discussing this and other stories. 
Joining us, first of all, will be the potential Tory candidate for working, Philip Ghent, to discuss some of the key stories uh, in the news, followed by Dr. Iqbal from Bradford to discuss the economical situation in Britain and has, uh, Brexit, uh, and has Brexit caused many of our problems. After the 11 o'clock news, we will speak to Azhar from Kent and Dr. Sheikh Rahman, who's a, a human rights campaigner, and take an in-depth look at this persecution of the Ahmadiyya community. <clears throat> the community faces intense persecution in many Muslim countries, and in Pakistan it has become state persecution with the introduction of certain laws which discriminate Ahmadis in particular. Finally, we'll be joined by Shahid Khan, our international journalist, to discuss the premiership, after which after a quite a wonderful World Cup, and he and, uh, and which has restarted, this is the Premiership, as well as look at what's happening at the FIFA Hockey World Cup with the absence of Pakistan, uh, which is uh, ironic as they're the most successful nation in this tournament. And also have a quick look at the Pakistani cricket downfall, which uh, after the tours of England and New Zealand, uh, they have not done so well. So lots on the show, so why not share us with your views and comments uh, by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. So, starting off our first segment of the show will be our news review. Weekend World. <clears throat> Look at this week's news, views and reviews. Right. Uh, <coughs> joining us this morning will be Philip Ghent. Uh, he is a Tory prospective candidate. Uh, he's from Woking and uh, he'll be discussing. Good morning, uh, Philip. Um, good morning to you, Hassan. Yes. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Yes, your first, uh, first show back on our show for this year. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum to you as well. Uh, peace and blessings to you. Uh, Philip, uh, we're going to go through some of the news stories. And as you mentioned, it's the new year. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to start with some very sad news um, and look at some political news as well. But let me start with the first news. Uh, Ahmadis killed in Burkina Faso is a report by an online report by Britta Winter. It's an online uh, media source. They write... Nine were slaughtered in Burkina Faso. Five have been charged for blasphemy as a radical cleric inside Sunni Muslims to pour petrol rather than water on Ahmadi's houses in fire in Pakistan. On January the 1st, 11, uh, 2023, terrorists attacked an Ahmadi mosque in Burkina Faso and, nine, and killed nine people. The carnage happened in Mahdiabad, a village built by the Ahmadis in 2008 near the northern town of Dori. The terrorists took away nine men, including the imam of the mosque, and killed them. The other terrorized Ahmadis were told they would share the same fate unless they stopped attending the mosque. It is difficult not to see in this tragedy a poisonous fruit of the anti-Ahmadiyya propaganda constantly coming from Pakistan. Uh, this is written by a, a Russian, Massimo Inverain. Uh, he's an Italian um, human rights campaigner, and he picks the point quite well, doesn't he, that uh, in this tragic incident, uh, much uh, of the hatred which has been created has spurned out from Pakistan. Your thoughts on what happened in Burkina Faso? Well, 
Yes, first of all, you know, huge, huge sympathy and condolences to all the relatives of the bereaved, but also to the wider uh, peace-loving community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um, as well. And no doubt, you know, those in Burkina Faso who disassociate themselves with this behavior, but unfortunately are tarnished by the acts of these um, terrorists um, who have inflicted such pain on um, on 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 the community. Mm. Um, as you say, that th- this there's a long history of religious communities being persecuted, and in the present era, um, members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, of whom I, I, I am proudly one, um, are suffering globally. Yes. Um, and this is the way of religious communities, mm. uh, and it is a sign of their truthfulness. Uh, what, what I would say is that such acts only redouble the prayers of the believers and inspire people within these communities and outside these communities to stand up to these terrorists, um, to persuade and to educate and to uh, try and reform the, these teachings. But it's a constant, it's a constant battle of wills, um, and, and there is no easy solution. There, there is, is a, no easy solution. There is no easy solution. And what comes out mostly from this incident particularly which moving for me was that uh, the terrorists when they got the nine into the courtyard ready to kill them and they asked one of them the, the imam i think uh, to renege his his faith and they bent him down to have his <clears throat> to to bring about his death and he demanded that he be stood up so mm-hmm. that he can die, die standing up for his faith and yeah. and at that moment, that's when they killed him when he stood up. Um, callous, uh, at the very least, cowardly, um, to put it politely, but the great bravery of the individual, of the Ahmadi. And that is something these people will never understand. They, they will not. And, and I'm reminded by by one of our early martyrs um, in, in, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, the most noble and respected, Abdul Latif Shaheed in Afghanistan, who mm. was the key advisor to the monarch of Afghanistan, to the king of Afghanistan, a very trusted advisor who also chose to die yes. um, and not renege on his faith and his belief that the Messiah and Mahdi had arrived in, in the form of um, the respected promised Messiah. Mm. Uh, um, and that is something that, that, that goes through every Ahmadi Muslim. Yeah. Um, that conviction and that faith to act um, peacefully, to act and to submit to the will of God, um, and to draw sustenance yeah. from faith um, and knowledge that there is a hereafter, and that certain knowledge 
that there is a living God and that there is a hereafter sustains us um, uh, in, in that respect. Um, many would expect members of the community to take up arms, but that, that is not the way we we act that's never been but, the way we act and that will be never that'll never be the way we act in response to such actions indeed and that, and i think that comes from the t- writings and from the teachings of the promised messiah and his example the Ahmed, because he said that uh, you you will be confronted with great persecution people will use foul language against you they will try to kill you but all mm. we will do will be will be praying for them that may Allah yes. guide them to, to the right path of righteousness. And as you pointed out, that example of uh, Abdul Latif in Afghanistan was at, during the time of the Promised Messiah. And consequently, since then, the, the Khulafa of the time, the, the spiritual heads who have succeeded the Promised Messiah in the leadership of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have always advocated this attitude that our task is not to retaliate but to show patience as the Quran teaches us and to show um, perseverance uh, and to pray uh, for our, ourselves for our community and for those uh, who are committing the crimes that may God give them the true guidance the message of the true message of peace which was the purpose of the promised Messiah indeed indeed and and I'm I'm, I'm reminded that we have recently inaugurated mm. the Masroor Eye Institute in Burkina Faso. Um, so that, that, that has been developed. It's an, an initiative of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, inspired by His Holiness, yeah. the current head of the community, mm-hmm. as, as Masroor Ahmed, uh, may God be his helper, um, to treat um, people of Burkina Faso, of all faiths, of all communities, right. um, with no discrimination um, in in that part of the world, in that country and surrounding countries. Indeed. So there, there we have an example of the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community do, is doing globally yes. and, and the persecution it's facing um, yeah. globally. In fact, that's a very good point because I was speaking to the chairman of IAAAE, Mr. Akram Ahmadi, and yes. he was telling me that uh, they, they had gone to this village and... Uh, they had created the village, the model village there, where they built a mosque, where they provided electricity, provided the water. And they even extended the water supply to the nearby mosque, which was not an Ahmadi mosque. And they, so right. they provided water to them as well, so the people who attended that mosque could do wuzu and drink water from there as well. So as you just pointed out, that our job, our ethic is to help mankind not to select only the few and only help the few. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and Islam does not discriminate uh, on color. It does not discriminate on people of faith or no faith. Hmm. In, 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 indeed, um, Islam, Islam teaches that not to talk, um, not to talk or revile um, those who, who have um, who, who who worship uh, gods beside God? Indeed, the Holy, um, I believe the Holy Quran says, uh, "Do not uh, abuse gods of others, lest out of ignorance they they abuse Allah." Um, yes. So it's a, it's a way of protecting society 
from rather than turning into an abusive society, is one of respect for each other. In, in, indeed, indeed, and 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 even if we look at the example of of the noble prophets, uh, which have been sent to all people mm. in all ages. Obviously, we know of only a handful of the prophets that have come, but that doesn't mean that all people have not had prophets that have come to them. Indeed, that is the teaching of the Quran. So if, if, for example, we look at the Prophet Muhammad, on whom be peace, or Prophet Jesus, on whom be peace, uh, even Mother Mary, um, so many things were said and done to, to these prophets of God, and yet nowhere can we find an edict or an instruction to punish um, uh, punish them. No. And uh, but the people who have said bad or done bad uh, to the to the prophets. Yeah. Um, and 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 so the acts, the acts of 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 these people inspired uh, by imams, um, uh, twisted uh, teachings um, in. in is 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 really is really has no basis in, in the Quran. I, I can hear in your voice, uh, Philip, that you are seeing the frustration that the Islamic teaching is one thing and the actions of others is so different that you can't comprehend how people can act this way. I've got uh, Daniel Kalon uh, with me. He's going to be co-presenting in the future and he's uh, just observing with us today. But I would like to bring him in just to ask him one question that uh, these men who tried to force these people to, to renege their faith and had they not, they would have been killed and they, and they were, these nine people. But Islam doesn't teach that. It doesn't, doesn't ask you to compel anyone to, to change their faith, does it? It doesn't. Assalamualaikum. Well, Assalamualaikum. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, we're um, only going to have you on snippets today, but uh, so that we you wean you into our show. But eventually, yeah. you'll be co-hosting on a regular. I'm just getting my feet wet at the yes, moment. Yeah. But yes, uh, as you mentioned, the Quran actually uh, states like Rahafiddin that there's no compulsion in religion. So, you know, the Quran is clear cut with regards to whether you can compel someone or not. Clearly mm. not. But then, if you look at the history of Islam as well. It's it's I wouldn't say it's funny, but it's it's strange that these modern day so called jihadists have taken up this extremist or violent view of persecution, whereas in the early days it was the Muslims themselves, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his small community, weak community, relatively poor community, who were being oppressed, who were facing persecution. So it's just strange to me how they Islam as a within history within the context of history began the inception was Muslims being persecuted mm. and now some Muslims some jihadists so others. exactly persecuted others. Yeah. The, the tables have turned off and, and hence why we believe the need of the Messiah and this is what the Holy Prophet peace and blessings will be upon him said prophesied the, the coming of a second Messiah to bring faith back to the people who have forgotten it. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, uh, Daniel, and also Philip on this point, and uh, we will be discussing more on this in our show later on as well. Let's go to another story. Again, you know, this is the negative phase of Islam we are seeing. Um, the BBC reported widespread outrage after British-Iranian Ali Raza Akbari executed. The report from the BBC is that the execution of a British-Iranian man 
Ali Razakbari, who had been sentenced to death, has been widely condemned. The ex-deputy Iranian defense minister was arrested in 2019 and convicted of spying for the UK, which, is, which he denies. The UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, said his execution was a callous and cowardly act carried out by a barbaric regime. France summoned Iran's top diplomat in Paris, warning that Tehran's repeated violations of international law cannot go unanswered. Meanwhile, the UK has imposed sanctions on Iran's prosecutor general, saying it would hold the regime to account for its appalling human rights violations. And sanctioning him today underlines our disgust at Ali Raza's Akbari's execution, the UK Foreign Secretary James cleverly said. Uh, another, uh, Iran, Iran is not doing itself favors by carrying out these uh, persecution or executions or arresting of people without due diligence of the courts. Is, is Iran on a downward spiral? Should, should I take that? Yes, yes, just yeah, for yes, you, Philip. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, well, I think I think first of all, we've just we have to recognise that since the Iranian Revolution in 1979, they they have completely revamped their judicial uh, code, their judicial system, penal code, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so their their acts are entirely consistent with with their judicial system right. as it is. So, yeah. I mean, they, they, are, they, are, they have a long attachment to France, for example, um, um, and they, they are very much civil code. They very much have a civil code, and therefore they have an inquisitorial um, system rather than an adversarial system that, we're, um, uh, that we have in the UK, yeah. for example, yeah. where the judge is, is more an independent arbiter there. The judges take a lot more interest in, in the case and take evidence and, and investigate. Right. Um, also, their, their laws, they, they have, a, have a law which, um, is where, which punishes for acts against God. Mm. And um, this, they, they say, is based on Quranic um, in, injunctions and... and and, and and what I would like to say before I before I I, I talk neg too negatively about 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 Iran is Iran and Persia has a great history and has contributed enormously to 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 the world in all areas in all spheres of life and it's such a shame that the people of Iran are having to go through such uh, a draconian. Um, and live under such a draconian re regime. Mm -hmm. And I, what I would urge the leaders of Iran to do is to look at their history, their proud history, and, and, and to come back um, to, to the comity of nations and try and, and, and live peacefully with their neighbors and to uh, not use religion um, and to conflate that with... Um, uh, their political goals mm -hmm. and uh, their political uh, ideology. Uh, that would be my request yeah. to them. It's a very proud country, and it has a lot to, to offer the world, the country and its people. Sure. Uh, but the, the, the question sometimes arises uh, that there is a lot of Western hypocrisy sometimes. 
Uh, we saw it in the Qatar World Cup where uh, there was a lot of issues regarding Western hypocrisy. And it turns out to it turned out to be one of the best World Cups ever, and this was by commentators uh, or or people within the football uh, fraternity who who were commenting on this, and many supported what what Qatar had done and the way it, it went about it. Uh, but mm. but the, in this case, we we see America has the death penalty, but we never questioned those deaths. Uh, why the state or why? So why do we criticize Iran when it carries out its laws? Um, is it because we don't trust their legal system or is it that because we have a bias against Iran and not against the United States? Right. So so, so, so the legal system um, also does um, emphasize corporeal punishment, so physical punishment over and above um, imprison- long-term imprisonment. So mm-hmm. that, that's just... That's just the norm in, in, in relation to how, how they punish. But also, they, they do not believe in so much in defense attorneys. Mm. Uh, they, they think that is a Western innovation. Um, what a, where I have um, a question mark about, about their, religious, religious, uh, their, their penal system and their judicial code is the acts against God are punishable. Now that there is no basis for that in the Quran, that 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 I would have I have I have a, a huge question mark. Mm. Blasphemy, uh, I think, as we touched on earlier in the conversation, um, is an is an act not punishable or has no delegation to be punished by human authority. God has left that to Himself yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Um, Yet the Iranian regime has taken it upon itself to punish a so-called acts against God, mm. and and that is a travesty on the people. That's a travesty on the the religion, and that's a travesty on all peace-loving people around the world. Indeed, and and that is something that uh, uh, unfortunately the the Western nations will, because they see Iran as an enemy because they oppose Israel, I presume, or at the behest of Israel, they try to uh, make Iran uh, the more uh, evil of the, of the nations than others. But let's see what, how this news pans out or how, what the situation for the Iranian people pans out, because at the end of the day, a lot of Iranians are very unhappy with the way the country is being run. Um, initially, I think they welcomed the Islamic uh, regime to come in. Uh, but uh, sometimes uh, their leaders have not uh, carried it out as they initially thought it might have. Uh, just one final story very quickly. Uh, the CNBC, the United States-based uh, news outlet, says that Britain or Brits are starting to think again about Brexit as the economy slides into recession, as evidence mounts of the long-term harm being inflicted at the, on the UK. Economy by Brexit, the government is coming under pressure to acknowledge the elephant in the room. There's a longish article which I can miss out on. Um, but uh, this is what... Uh, uh, Anna Soubry thinks of the Tory party at the moment. The question that really we should all be debating is why we have a government that is absolutely incapable of settling these strikes, which it does have a role in, and sorting it out. And the answer is, is because we've got largely, Alex is probably one of the few exceptions, a bunch of incompetents, and we feel like we're being governed by teenagers, and it's about time we have the grown-ups back in charge. Forget, we have not forgotten what Liz Truss 
and what, the, what your government okay. did to our economy. Okay. It played a major part of the crisis but we are in. And before that, we had Boris Johnson, who was undoubtedly the worst prime minister this country okay. has ever I'm had. Move on we here. I'm going to move on. Ooh, the Tories are telling Ed Asubi was a minister for the Tory party. Are the Tories leaving the party in droves? I, I don't I don't I don't think I don't I don't think the Tory party is or members are are leaving in 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 droves. We we we've so, been so you've got no so you've got no fear of the next general election of losing then. I think as as the polls stand at the moment as and we we are be, the conservatives are behind mm. in, in in the polls. So clearly there is a risk that um uh, at this point in time if an election was was uh, undertaken now um we would not be um, governing the governing party. Um, however, two years is a long time in, in, in politics. And, and, and is Sunak the right man for it? Is he bringing it all together again, or is there, there's, or is he struggling? I think he's the right man to be our. But prime he minister. blames everything on Putin and on on uh, on the COVID, uh, but he's not blaming anything on on Brexit. And there Brexit, is there is there's big consensus that Brexit is causing a lot of issues. Brexit has impacted on economic growth. There's no there's no question about about that. But Sunak's not acknowledging that, that, is he? Well, well, the way the way we have to look at it, I mm. mean, and, and Sunak has to govern not not for the next five or ten years, or look at the country's interests for the next five ten years. Right. He's got his eye on the next forty, fifty, hundred years, yeah. and 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 on the growing economies of the of the Indo-Pacific region, okay. and and being out of Europe does give the UK greater scope to cooperate with those growing economies, and that and and the impact of that is not going to be felt overnight in the short term there is a short-term pain um, but for longer term cooperation with these economies hopefully that that will result in greater prosperity for the UK and hopefully we can have a better relationship with the Europe as well in the meantime mm. and you know I, I think that's what we're, we're aiming for ideally mm, you seem more optimistic than Anna Subri does thank you very much for joining us uh... Uh, Philip, uh, always a pleasure having you with your views and st- holding steadfast to your Tory policies. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Alaikum warahmatullahi Right, let's move on to our next segment of the show, which is the community news. Weekend World. Community News. Right, the CNN reports that Brexit has cracked Britain's economic foundations, carrying on what we were discussing with... Uh, with Philip there, it has been two years since the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson signed his Brexit trade deal, oven ready deal, I presume, uh, and triumphantly declared that Britain would be prosperous, dynamic and contended after completing its exit from the European Union. The Brexit deal would enable uh, UK companies to do even more business with the European Union, uh, according to Johnson, and would leave Britain free to strike trade deals around the world while continuing to export seamlessly to the EU market of 450 million consumers. In reality, Brexit has hobbled the UK economy, which remains the only member of the G7 with an economy smaller than it was before the pandemic. 
Years of uncertainty over the future trading relationship with the European Union, Britain's largest trading partner, have damaged business investment, which in the third quarter of as uh, was 8% below pre-pandemic levels, despite a UK-EU trade deal being in place for nearly two years. And the pound has been uh, taken a beating, making imports more expensive and stoking inflation while falling to boost exports, even as other parts of the world have enjoyed a post-pandemic boom, trade boom. Is it, is it Brexit or the Tory party policies, or is it Putin that has caused the economic crisis? Uh, we'll hear what... Uh, Liz, what Liz Truss had to say when she was asked this question. People are worried about their mortgages. They're worried about their rent. They're worried about being able to pay their business loans. Do you feel any responsibility for that anxiety? So I understand how worried people are. And I understand that people are struggling and it's very, very difficult times. And this is a global problem. You know, we've got Putin's war in Ukraine, the aftermath of COVID. What is happening around the world is that interest rates are rising. If we look at this graph, and you can look at it over there, Prime Minister, you can see what happened to the cost of government borrowing. On the mm. day that you made that announcement, mm. it spiked. And it didn't just spike. It's predicted to stay high for long. Now, the reason that matters <clears throat> is when it costs the government more to borrow, Everything costs more. Everybody feels the increase in interest rates, whether that's on government, on mortgages, on people's rents. This is a direct consequence of the decisions you made last week. And interest rate increases are going to mean pressure on people's mortgages and less money for public services. We have been in a very long period of low interest rates. And the fact is that due to the war in Ukraine, perpetrated by Russia, interest rates are rising around the world. This is not about what was going on in the war in Ukraine already. We, we know that that's a huge challenge. But look at the direct result on that day. And the chief economist at the Bank of England, That Chief is Hill, not the same as interest rates, though, Laura. But it so I think, I think the audience should be clear that that is not the same as interest rates. And this is what uh, Rishi Sunak says he and who he blames. To some of its neighbours and like-minded countries, do you accept that Brexit in any way is a contributing factor to those issues? Well, I think when you're thinking about what the UK's economic situation is, I'd point you back to the comments and the statistics that I've made in my opening, com uh, my opening remarks. Two-thirds of the global economy or G20 members seeing inflation rates above 7% at the moment. The IMF thinks a third of the global economy either is or will be in recession. That is the global context. That's what's dominated the conversations that I've been having here. And, and we know why that is. It's the legacy of COVID and it's, uh, of course, what Putin is doing uh, that is driving up energy and indeed food prices. And if you talk to some of my colleagues from Africa and what they're grappling with, they're very cognizant of that. Uh, that was Rishi Sunak blaming it on COVID and on Putin. To share his thoughts with us, Dr. Iqbal, who is a passionate political commentator, particularly on Twitter, and not afraid to share his thoughts on air with us on Voice of Islam. He lives in Bradford, as we uh, from London say, from up north. Uh, Salam alaikum and good morning, Dr. Iqbal. Um, thank you for having me, Hassan. That's okay. Uh, 
It seems that it's all COVID's and Putin's fault, according to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. What do, what do you say? Absolute nonsense, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you expect from politicians? Uh, um, you know, if you look from a, a global point of view and an open-minded point of view, mm. it is clear that Britain is the sick man of Europe. I think many commentators are uh, accepting that, and the IMF and various other you know large bodies are saying as well that Britain is running into real problems, and you've uh, identified some of those in your uh, program. Um, COVID was a problem, but it was a global problem. China had the problem, America had the problem, the, the Europeans had the problem, and everybody dealt with it in a different way because there was a lot of politics associated with COVID, leaving aside the you know, the medical scientific uh, issues related with the virus, the lockdowns, the timing of the lockdowns, what was done, etc., and that damaged the economy massively. And there's a massive debate about what should have been. You know, you look at China, it dealt with it in a totally different way. You look at the Scandinavian countries, they dealt with it mm-hmm. in a way. As far as Putin goes, that is totally the fault of the West. I mean, that war did not need to take place. And given how difficult the economic situation was for Britain and Europe and the rest of the sort of Western world, they mm-hmm. should have negotiated a settlement and avoided this war. So you can't go on blaming Putin. This war was taking, you know, next door to him on his borders. And so um, I believe that Russia had to act and uh, the war didn't need to take place. But clearly, um, the Western world seems to be, have uh, undergone much more damage, both in terms of currency and uh, in every other way as well. What, what was Putin's argument? He was saying that... Uh... Ukraine is being uh, encouraged to join NATO, uh, and uh, the British, in particular, with the support of the United States, uh, were egging them on. Were, were, were they not? Is is that where the issue is, and is that why uh, this war, you you say, has been imposed by the West? Absolutely, um, son, because. Uh, you know, one of the greatest thinkers of our time at the moment, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, and uh, recently I was really pleased to see Al Hakim had a big interview segment with him, and he's been on you know lots of uh, channels as well, and of course many of them independent channels because the mainstream American channels uh, don't have him as much as they used to. He's a great economist, he's, isn't he? He used to yeah, advise a, great, a lot of presidents. One of the greatest, yeah. Absolutely, United yeah. Nations presidents, you mm. name it. But because he speaks the truth and says, look, this war did not need to happen, you know, Putin had made it clear from his speeches in 2007 what his concerns were, not just his, but the major Russian players, right, of what is. And NATO had made a promise not to expand to Russian borders, and they totally betrayed that trust. And even after the 2014 coup that the Americans and the Western people arranged to, to depose an elected leader in Ukraine, you know, Putin had warned that, please don't do this. And you can see that the two mince agreements that were made with Europe were totally on false pretenses and lies, and even that's becoming quite clear. So how can you just keep on blaming Putin when he spelled it out every time that please don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Mm. Uh, and then you can see clearly that this is a war that has been planned by the West. But then in a way, Russia has been preparing for the war as well because they knew that there was something fishy going on. 
And uh, now, really, Britain and Europe are, are suffering worse than the Americans because they're closer to Russia. And, yeah. um, uh, and apart from their location, uh, the report which I just read out from CNN is, uh, is talking about the, that pre-COVID economical situations, Britain is the only G7 nation which is below that, uh, whereas the other nations like France, like Germany and the others have overlapped the, the pre-COVID situation, the financial economical situation. So what is the cause that Britain is lacking behind? Is it p- poor uh, governance uh, by the Tory party? I, th- I, I think so, uh, because, you know, if you looked at, you played the clip from Liz Truss uh, earlier on before me. I mean, that woman was totally incompetent. And the why and how the Tory party chose her as a leader, God knows. I mean, she added billions and billions to our budget deficit. That didn't need to happen. We were in a bad enough situation. Mm. And then the problem is us, and that Britain is different from Europe in that the divide between the rich and the poor is much greater. Much greater, even though Germany is facing major problems because of the Ukraine war, not really. I mean, if you look at Nord to stream destruction, that was clearly, um, you know, a player within NATO that actually did that to damage Germany. But despite that, now I'm hearing that Germany is beginning to, you know, refocus uh, on its industry, etc. It's not being bullied in relation to China and therefore has made a decision to say enough is enough for us. And even the French are, you know, plodding along, as they say. And with Europe now raising their interest rates, because remember the euro got hammered because the dollar became so uh, strong after the interest rate rises, and they've realized that. So so Europe is going to start recovering despite the problems, unless, of course, this war escalates into something big, which God forbid. Mm. But Britain's in a mess. It really is in a mess, and the Tories have played a large part in that. And uh, as the report from the CNN and at times quite cynical uh, at the at the Brexit situation of Britain. Um, is Brexit causing much of the situation, and what sort of things is Brexit having an impact on? I, I think definitely it's causing it, but you know what, son? Nobody's going to have the guts in this country, even the Labour Party. You look at Starmer. So, you know, they will not be honest with their people about the economic situation and what they need to do. And so it's all about dishonesty of blaming somebody else for all their faults. And the reality is that Europe has always, well, as Europe for a long time, since the 70s, certainly has been the biggest trading partner. We gained massive benefits when we joined, and now we've kicked them in the teeth. To be honest, I don't think Macron and the French would ever allow the British to get back into the EU. <laughs> no, no, he's not, uh, not going to entertain that. You, you, you mentioned, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Keir Starmer. He told the business conference that... Uh, the party would make Brexit work. Now, uh, so he's not... Why Why won't people discuss that we need to undo Brexit and maybe join the reunion again? What, what What's the problem there? I mean, if you listen to Question Time at the weekend, uh, uh, during the week, the audience there were absolutely adamant that the Brexit is causing a lot of issues. Uh, it was only the Tory politician that wasn't agreeing with it, um, but everyone else was absolutely up in arms about Brexit. So it looks like the tide is changing, and they're saying something like 
30, uh, only 30% of people now believe that Brexit was beneficial instead of the 60-odd percent that was initially uh, the case. I think the problem, Asan, is that Western British politicians in particular are led by their noses, by the media and the powerful corporate media moguls, right? And Brexit was caused by them. You know that. I think Cameron in his heart believed that he would win it, right? But he didn't realize how much power these media moguls and others have that formed their opinions. And so that's when the decision was made. And Starmer is not a great leader, and I think he's frightened of the media moguls and all those. And so he keeps on looking over his shoulder to see what they're saying, etc. But you're right. I, I do feel there is a public mood mood that saying that we were lied to and there's a mess mm. but um, I can't see a British politician being brave enough to say look you know we've made a mistake I just can't so tell uh, in your views what sort of impact has Brexit had which is causing issues I mean we've got these strikes taking place about wages but there's a shortage of staff and that is that is directly related to Brexit isn't it the shortage of staff Absolutely. I mean, I've been closely associated with the NHS, as you know, I've sat on mm. the boards of many of, uh, and we've discussed shortages of nurses, even doctors and all other staff, etc. And uh, yes, many people from Europe were fulfilling the roles in our NHS and you can't uh, uh, actually, so the, so the staff are coming under immense pressure, right? And then the cost of living has hit them really hard. You know, their uh, energy costs, their food costs, everything else. You look at the rate of inflation, it's over, it was over 13% in Britain. And you look at the rises they were given. You know, new nurses getting 2% rise, whilst bosses in the city were getting God knows what sort of rises, and including MPs as well. So it's been absolutely dreadful the way it's been handled after Brexit. The economy did suffer and we did not take steps. Even, you know, dealings with China, right? So, okay, you're going to come out of Europe and uh, who are you going to deal with? And the Americans, you know, Trump wasn't going to play cards with them, right? Mm -hmm. So then they messed things up with China as well. And then they said, oh, we'll go to India. Well, you know, India is not the same India that they ruled over a couple of hundred years. It's a very powerful nation now. It's it's, It's a a, very powerful nation. It now demands uh, people to follow them rather than us following them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So honestly, I... You know, I mean, I love this country. It's given me so much and uh, there's so many, but the politicians, honestly, we've got some of the weak. You know, what's the name? Anna Subri you were playing here. Right? Mm. Not just the Tories have got some of the weakest politicians. I think, sadly, even the opposition has got um, weak leadership as well. So God help us. Um, in terms of uh, the strikes that are taking place all over the country. This this is the first time, I think, since the 70s, I've seen so many strikes. Uh, and it's not the situation at the time that Ma- Maggie Thatcher faced and where she subdued the, the, the unions. Uh, this is a much different um, face that the politicians are facing, the Tory party is facing, aren't they? The unions are very strong now but doing the right things, not doing the militant stuff that they did during Thatcher's time. 
I, I, I think they've learned a lot and they're taking the public with them. Even at the moment, I think certainly in the NHS, uh, over 57% support. Rail unions, they've got over 50% support, etc. So they're doing things right and the government is struggling. Um, but, you know, I'm really worried about the global situation and what's going on. My fear is that because the Western world is really struggling in every way economically and the dollar is going to get weaker and weaker over the next few years. And with what's happening, I mean, then the Russia clearly is going to win this war after this winter campaign is over. Clear cut. Hmm. So what does NATO do? And that this is my worry with the dollar under weakness, with the Western economies in the mess. A lot of times, you know, the the Americans became the most superpower after World War Two. If you look at their economic, uh, uh, you know, improvement, Second World War made them massively superior. To, and sometimes a war can be of great benefit to some nations. And who knows what some of these uh, strategists are thinking? But heaven forbid that we go into a bigger war. And the the Tories are trying to put out that the the they're winning back the public. Uh, from uh, the strikers, from the unions, uh, but the polls are still not really showing that. And in terms of uh, the pay reviews that these uh, strikers are demanding or the unions are demanding, a lot of it is to do with the austerity measures uh, because there's been no pay rises for the past seven, eight years for some of them and, and, and longer, and that was because of the austerity measures. So it's nothing to do with the COVID directly. It's to do with the austerity measures, which was introduced by the Tory party. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, if you look at generally in this country from sort of 2000 to now, you know, you look at house prices, they've increased by 284%, and wages have only increased by 20, 27% overall. And a lot of the time was under the, the, the Tory government. Mm. But even, you know, you mentioned that uh, they think they can win the public over. Uh, just yesterday I was reading that uh, Barclays, I've forgotten his first name, the health secretary Stephen now. Barclay, so, so Stephen Barclay, right? Now, behind the scenes, he's telling the unions, etc., to lobby the prime minister more for a rise because he's realized the mess they're in and, uh, you know, the justification for them asking for a greater rise as well. So I, I think the cabinet is being split uh, as well. And uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. You know, so after the 2008 crisis in particular, with the launch of this austerity and all that, you know, the, the the city and the big people, you know, they've done really well. Uh, you can see the wealth gap. But uh, nurses, teachers, that, you know, the ordinary working people. And then, of course, there's the welfare budget as well. You know, people giving handouts. I, I'm not in favor of giving handouts willy-nilly, to be honest. I think this country needs to wake up and smell the salt and uh, realize that people have got to work uh, as well. But uh, you've got to be fair both at the working class level and at the higher up level with the elite and there. There's total unfairness with the bonuses, you know, going to the roof and salary rises. Mm. So it's austerity for the poor, but, uh, you know, great rewards for the rich, and that's mm. not good. The other thing, during uh, Maggie Thatcher's time, uh, the, the the press and the media very much put out the government line and the propaganda that was led by the government by Thatcher and her cronies 
was was very much the order of the day. But in today's world, where we got social media, access to all the other things that gone, and Mick Lynch and people like the uh, the union leaders have really come up trumps, have they? Have they not? And they were they've been able to address their their argument to the people directly, and hence why they've been uh, gaining greater support, particularly when Mick Lynch has been sitting in front of the select committees, and we were able to have, see what what is discussed in those uh, meetings, which was never done before. I think he's come across very positively, and a lot of the union leaders have uh, obviously uh, you know, very articulate in presenting their views clearly. Uh, and the government is uh, struggling uh, at the moment. Uh, and the media also, in fairness, then, has taken a, a fair line, whereas during the Maggie days, it was clear-cut, you know. Mm-hmm. It was hammer the unions. And the unions were a lot more militant in those days. You're absolutely right. Michael uh, Scargill and, and, and Kurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. remember those days when absolutely. we were at university. So. But, you know, the other thing is that the media is really funny because the left and the right-wing media unites on one thing, and that's war in Ukraine. You know, why what a stupid thing, honestly, because they're related. Well, how can you fan the flames of war? Because it's cost billions has been sent to Ukraine by the Americans and British and uh, others as well. Why can't we focus on, you know, uh, the, the British people and their needs, etc., mm. and uh, let others sort their own problems out? And quite often, then you can do that without having wars because you have a negotiated settlement. But here, that was prevented specifically. In fact, it was Boris, our prime minister, mm. who stopped the peace talks in Ukraine going. Otherwise, we would have been in peace by March last year. So it's just crazy. Yeah, that uh, talking of Boris Johnson, uh, Nadine Doris says, "Bring him back." That's the guy who's gonna, <laughs> who had the oven deal ready. Is he the man to bring uh, sanity back to our nation? No, I think I think Sonak has got to be given a lot longer to see. Is she? He's certainly better than Liz Truss. But you know, <laughs> with the time, time. I, I, I think they're going to struggle to win the next election. And can you believe it, Asan? In our time. The lead the Tories had, honestly, I never believe. I thought for at least 10, 20 years, Tories are guaranteed to rule this country now. But I've never seen such a big mess in all my life to lose such a lead mm. and now to face possible loss to uh, Labour Party with Starmer. So it's just strange how politics works. But who knows? Yeah, and, and Starmer, why is he not coming across as strong as he, he should? I, I, I think he, he's just playing to the media moguls and keeping his head down and not saying anything and mm-hmm. just uh, letting the Tories make all the mistakes, um, which, you know, in some ways, if you want to get into power, is quite clever. But the problem is, what is he or what is the Labour Party going to do? And we haven't got a clue. Mm-hmm. We haven't got a clue how they're going to deal with these strikes or how they're going to get the economy right or anything, so I don't know. But if he, if he goes for uh, returning to the union, that's going to be political suicide for him, is it not? I don't think he will. I, I, I think he's more right, right than the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was Blair. <laughs> no, well, he's a Blair, right? let's be honest. So... A lot of people think. I, I think you know Blair wanted to be in power for power's sake, 
Mm. And, uh, you know, in fairness, Labour had a good run during those periods. But I, I give more credit to Gordon Brown because he's the one who held the first strings. He's the one who sorted the budgets out for the NHS and education, which was the two sectors that really benefited under uh, Labour. I know from my city in Bradford, how massively healthcare and the education were changed. So that was real money put in. Mm. But then the Iraq legacy just destroyed Labour and... Uh, you know, Gordon also paid the price uh, for did. that Gordon Brown. And uh, uh, Starmer basically is Blairite part two, and uh, he'll do whatever needs to be done to stay in power and lie. As politicians do. Uh, Dr. Iqbal, thank you very much. Time is not on our side, but thank you for sharing your thoughts. And, and let's all pray for a better, uh, for a better Britain. Absolutely. Um, it's our country and we've got to work positively um, towards that. I'm into that. Right, we're coming to the 11 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to our listeners. This is Voice of Islam on the Weekend World Show with Asim Ahmadi. Uh, please join us by phoning 0208-687-78 to give us your views. Or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The, the views on the show, are, on the Weekend World Show, are those of the guests. Uh, we're going to start with the verse of the Holy Quran, chapter 5, verse Allah says, We prescribe for the children of Israel that what that whosoever killed a person, unless it be for killing a person or for creating disorder in the land, it shall be as if he had killed all of mankind. And whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all mankind. And our messengers came to them with clear signs, and yet, even after that, many of them commit excesses in the land. Uh, Massimo Introvine is an Italian sociologist of religions. He's the founder of the manage and managing director of the Center for Studies on New Religions, an international network of scholars who study new religious movements. He's a member of the editorial board for an interdisciplinary journal of research on religion and of the executive board of University of California Press Nova Religion with a special focus on discrimination against Christians and members of other religions. This is what he wrote this week in The Bitter Winter, an online media source. The headline is Ahmadis Killed in Burkina Faso and Book for Printing the Quran in Pakistan. He writes, Nine were slaughtered in Burkina Faso, five have been charged for blasphemy, as a, as a radical cleric incites Sunni Muslims to pour petrol rather than water on Ahmadi houses on fire. 
On January 11, 2013, terrorists attacked an Ahmadi mosque in Burkina Faso and killed nine. The carnage happened in Mediabad, a village built by the Ahmadis in 2008, near the northern town of Dori. The terrorists took away nine men, including the imam of the mosque, and killed them. The other terrorized Ahmadis were told they would share the same fate unless they stopped attending the mosque. It is difficult not to see in this tragedy a poisonous fruit of the anti-Ahmadiyya propaganda constantly coming from Pakistan. Like all Islamic sects and schools, the Ahmadis print their own editions of the translations of the Quran with comments based on their own theology. Hassan Moavia is a cleric from the conservative Sunni Diobandi school who has invented a new profession. He goes around the country and files dozens of FIRs, first information reports that is, with the police asking that Ahmadis be prosecuted for blasphemy, a crime punished with the death penalty in Pakistan. On December 5th, Muawiya registered a FIR with the police of Chenab Nagar, <coughs> formerly known as Rabwa, in Punjab, accusing several Ahmadis of blasphemy for having printed an unauthorized edition of the Quran and distributed it to several people, allegedly including minors. Joining me for this part of the show is our political and faith commentators, Azhar Amdi and uh, a human rights campaigner, Sheikh Rahman, a member of the All Faith Network, who has spoken at events in the House of Lords in regards to Ahmadi persecution. Good morning and assalamu alaikum, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me. Azza, let me start with you, um, <clears throat> with this Burkina Faso incident. Uh, tell us uh, your thoughts on that and uh, what you think is happening there. Yes, the uh, security situation in Burkina Faso and the rest of the countries in that area, which is uh, northwest, uh, northwestern uh, um, Africa, is uh, very dangerous. And a lot of terrorist organizations, they call themselves Islamists, but I would hesitate to give them uh, that honor. Uh, mm. I think they are terrorists. Uh, and this killing which has taken place is nothing but cold blood uh, and it is uh, uh, for the um, for their um, heinous beliefs of some uh, version of Islam and uh, they have targeted Ahmadis hmm. in this mosque uh, so this is uh, utterly condemnable and those people, if they are alleging any allegiance to Islam, mm -hmm. I think they should renounce their allegiance. They might have some political affiliations, but nothing to do with Islam, because the holy character of the uh, Prophet Muhammad mm. which is in fact an embodiment of the Quranic teachings, uh, teaches us peace and tolerance. And did he not, after all, the holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did he not invite Christians of Najran to pray in his mosque indeed, and they indeed, were having indeed. a discussion mm. and they said um, uh, the Holy Prophet obviously invited people mm. from all uh, you know from other faiths to accept Islam. People used they to come from, uh, people used to come to see him and, and talk to him. 
yes, yes. and not get killed. Mm. And the Christians from Najran, they said we have to retire uh, because it is time for prayer. So the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, why do you not pray in this mosque? So this is the lofty example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, unparalleled in the history of religion. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and the Muslims are behaving in this uh, despicable manner, not only in West Africa, but all over the world, you know, with uh, um, uh, across North Africa, across the Middle East. Uh, we've seen what ISIS did in uh, Syria and what have you. And then you go to Afghanistan and um, the situation gets even worse. And in Pakistan, it's no better. Mm. So I'm afraid all Muslims, uh, everyone looking at this, must affirm that the time for the reformation of Muslims is here and now, mm -hmm. and that Muslims have really uh, lost their way in a big way. Coming back to the Burkina Faso incident, uh, the report <coughs> which is coming out, and Massimo also writes about this, <coughs> that uh, it, it seems that a non-Muslim, someone, an Italian who's uh, into human rights uh, and, and, uh, and the freedom of faith, uh, who's understood Islam better than, I think, these jihadists, as you've called them, uh, rather than Islamists, um, is that uh, they were forcing people to renege their faith, and yet the Quran teaches the opposite about forcing people's faith. Yes, it says absolutely the opposite. It says there is no compulsion in religion. Mm. So what does that mean, This is an absolute uh, fundamental principle of Islam, uh, and it is it was uh, exemplified perfectly and beautifully and comprehensively in the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu uh, Many examples. Uh, and yet, they, these people have abandoned all these teachings. And the situation, I can tell you, in Burkina Faso and mm -hmm. other countries like Mali and Niger is uh, extreme. These are Muslim, you know, Muslim-majority countries. Uh, for example, in Burkina Faso, it's 60% Muslim, 30% Christian. Um, so is extremely volatile. Mm -hmm. And these attacks are carried out. Uh, by these terrorist groups. I don't know who they've been trained by. They have connections with Al-Qaeda uh, in the Islamic uh, Maghrib. Uh, they have uh, other, you know, they're all sp splinter groups. You must have heard of Boko Haram mm. in Nigeria. And uh, there's also another Islamic state in Greater Sahara. We don't know which exactly of these terrorist groups carried them out. But they all have similar ideologies, do they not? Exactly. Similar yeah. ideologies, but yeah. they have splintered with each other, mm. splintered away from each other mm -hmm. because of their political, you know, they're actually, they want political power in yeah. these regions yeah. or in these areas. And they're using Islam, uh, peaceful religion, for their nefarious uh, purposes. And, mm. you know, any condemn, uh, no condemnation can yeah. be enough sure. for such a cowardly attack. Yeah, uh, fully agree with those thoughts and sentiments. Uh, Sheikh Rahman? Uh, your initial thoughts on what Azhar has said and what's happening in Burkina Faso? Well, I fully endorse what Azhar has said. Um, I think, the, unfortunately, the, the terrorists have no agenda but to create chaos in the world. Mm. And um, they have, unfortunately, um, six, 
succeeded uh, only in, in pursuing their agenda by violence. And uh, politically, if you look at the world uh, or the Islamic parties in, in the world, you will find that they have very little uh, political following. Mm -hmm. uh, they have followings in, in of course, the, the, the whole Muslim world has followings within their own sects. But if it comes to, to voting powers, which quite a lot of the Islamic parties um, actually join the political forces, uh, they don't really have any, um, any voting you know, or electoral power to get into the assemblies and, and pursue the, the, the correct Islamic faith rather than, um, as other points out, like Rahafiddin, there's no compulsion in religion. Mm. Now, unfortunately, in the incidents in the incidents of Burkina Faso, well, first of all... And, 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 and you work in Africa as well, don't you? You have connections I in do. Africa, so, yes. so you yes. might be aware of more what goes on there. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, uh, the Foreign Office advice in the UK, of course, is that do not travel to Burkina Faso unless absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole, you know, it's, it's a very a damning um, uh, advice that the Foreign Office has on their official website. Right. Um, now, um, the Human Rights, uh, uh, Human Rights Watch um, have issued a, a, um, a bulletin on their official website as well, uh, and, and it quite clearly, clearly states that nine people killed in mosque attack um, by suspected jihadists in northeastern Burkina Faso. Uh, now, the attack happened at around nightfall on Wednesday in the village of Gulguntu in Burkina's Sahil region when assailants arrived on motorbikes and herded worshippers inside the mosque, a witness said. They separated out the women, children, and elderly and then made sermons to try to convince worshippers of abandoning their form of faith, the sources said. A discussion even started up with the imam, and because he refused, he was executed, the source said. They tried to cut his throat, but, but he fought back, saying he wanted to die standing up, mm. so the terrorists shot him in the head. Now, you can imagine the imam's faith himself, you know, that he'd rather die than renounce his faith. Uh, that's a, a beautiful example of shahadat. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, um, a stalwart of his faith and uh, standing up for his right. Many uh, Ahmadis have, have done that in, in, in yes. history under, under severe persecution. Right. We read of Abdul Latif Saab of Afghanistan earlier on the show and also... Yeah. <coughs> We know many others who have done this, and this was a great example of their steadfastness into the faith and, and trust in Allah, which is the greatest okay. aspect of this all. <coughs> Let me uh, bring another aspect because Sorry, this is just, just to, yes, just to yes. state that this is this is a town which is located close to the gold mining town of Palaguntu, which mm -hmm. has near the which is near the border with Niger, and as others pointed out. Um, uh, Burkina Faso actually is bordered by Nigeria, Niger, and and Ghana. So Ghana, of course, is a relatively 
uh, calm and a much more freer country. Mm. Uh, but there are splinter groups in Niger um, and also in Nigeria which um, which encourage um, terrorism. terrorism. And yeah. and it's very sad to say that the governments of these countries take absolutely no action. Mm. Now, Burkina also has had a military coup not too long ago. And there is uh, there is talk of of yet another coup in the country, so it's a very politically unstable, unstable nation. It appears, it is. yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, as Massimo uh, Intervine uh, in his article says, it is difficult not to see this tragedy of poisonous fruit of anti-Ahmadiyya propaganda constantly coming from Pakistan. Now, Pakistan has been the brunt of uh, or the initiating of the Ahmadiyya persecution is, is uh, state is, uh, in law as well. And the MPs in, uh, in Britain have often spoken about it. Here's a short clip. Let's listen to this. And then we'll discuss uh, of that persecution that is taking place in Pakistan against the Ahmadiyya community. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Kashi want to monitor this home to many Ahmadiyya Muslims who remain concerned about the continued persecution, particularly by the Pakistani government, uh, of the Ahmadiyya community. So what steps is my right up and taking to raise this with the government of Pakistan? Minister. Well, my honourable... Uh, and also the United Nations have been discussing this uh, on several occasions. Here's a clip of various uh, ministers of... Uh, Argentina and uh, other countries, uh, France, UK and others talking about the blasphemy laws of Pakistan. Peel blasphemy laws and restrictions and end their use against Ahmadi Muslims and others. This includes limits on freedoms of expression and religious belief, particularly for the Christian and Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Measures to ensure the protection of religious minorities, including Christians, Ahmadis, Hindus and Sikhs. Protecting and fulfilling the rights of all religious minorities, including the Ahmadi, Shia Muslims, Christians and Baha'i. And seven, to take effective measures to protect persons belonging to minorities, particularly the to investigate reports of discrimination and that those who commit crimes against ethnic and religious minorities such as the Hazars, Dalits, Christians, Hindus and Ahmadis be brought to justice. That was from the United Nations, um, uh, diplomats from UK, France, Argentina and others commenting about the safety of Ahmadis and other faiths. Uh, as a, uh, Pakistan has been the hub of persecution for Ahmadis. Have things improved? Um, I'm afraid that things are not improving and uh, the things are deteriorating for uh, Ahmadis in Pakistan. I'll give you an ex I'll give you some examples, but before that, Pakistan itself is going towards Afghanistan as far as security is concerned. You know, in 2022, mm. there were 18 terrorist attacks in uh, Pakistan. Uh, for example, the Lahore bombing, the Quetta bombing, the Peshawar mosque attack. Now, these are all very serious uh, security issues, but it seems. The Pakistan government is unable to do anything, and uh, all, many of these are suicide bombings. And according to reports, 282 security forces just in the year 2022 lost their personnel, were lost in Pakistan. So you can imagine that because of Islamic terrorism yeah. uh, and the attitude of these uh, terrorists, uh, the whole country 
is in a state which no other civilized country is. You know, for example, no civilized country would would accept 18 terrorist attacks, mm. 282 security forces personnel. Mm. So this is exactly what the Khalifas of um, Ahmadiyya Islam have warned. Uh, since you know, we've been hearing uh, in the past that if you go down this route of persecuting Ahmadis for no reason whatsoever, because they are peaceful, they have no arms, uh, they are not propagating their faith by by guns or ammunition. So what possible reason is there for persecuting them when the United Nations Human Rights Charter gives freedom of faith, including freedom to propagate your faith to every country and you know, Pakistan is a signatory to the UN uh, Charter of Human Rights. So I'm afraid Pakistan is going down the route of Afghanistan. Uh, if it isn't already there, it's going to be a country run by warlords on sectarian lines. And, uh, you know, the fault lines with Balochistan and NWF and uh, KP. Uh, will re-emerge, including Sindh. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is the situation Pakistan faces. Indeed. It uh, is an existential question. Yeah. Uh, Sheikh Ahmad, uh, on what Azhar is saying, um, it appears that uh, the, uh, Pakistan doesn't heed to the warnings which it comes from the United Nations. Why, why is that? Why is the United Nations, when they raise these issues of Pakistan, why doesn't Pakistan take some action of improving that situation? Because it's not going to help Pakistan by by not following the guidance that is some, that is given on human rights by the United Nations, because it becomes almost like a pariah state. Well, it does. And unfortunately, because the UN has no powers to enforce uh, these violations mm-hmm. of their own charter, um, I think, uh, countries like Pakistan, etc., don't adhere to to these um, these these warnings or these um, even the resolutions that have been passed. Right. Uh, so, unfortunately, uh, the UN, um, in my view, definitely needs reformation, and um, they need some form of enforcement powers it... in order to be able to enforce uh, these gross violations. Mm. Um, and an example of that very recently is um, what you what you quoted earlier of uh, this this guy who Malana Hassan um, Moavia. Moavia who actually has registered and in fact um, not only the authorities but they themselves went and arrested the our uh, the the uh, gentleman in Drabwa. Uh, to and and put him behind bars uh, for this for the so-called violation of the translation of the Holy Quran, mm. and as of recently, a sickening video in Pakistan um, is is doing its rounds on WhatsApp groups and particularly in the Khatmin Nawaz group, mm. where they are actually calling for extermination of Ahmadi Muslims across the world, and. Um, the extreme the extremist declares jihad holy war against the already persecuted and ostracized peaceful Ahmadiyya community. He calls upon Muslims to cut the tongue 
and strike down the hand that interpolates the Holy Quran. He further urges Muslims to crush the brain and smash the heart. Now, can you imagine? Uh, these these guys call themselves followers of the Holy Prophet of Islam, and see what what this what they are propagating, mm, mm. Uh, which harbors rebellion against it. He will not rest until the last Qadiani is alive on the face of this earth. The video says. So you can imagine how bad how how bad the the situation is. And no action is taken by the by the state authorities. In fact, the state authorities play a part in violating these uh, laws or these uh, um, char- charter of human rights themselves. Um, as we've seen that in a recent thing, they've um, they've gone and and uh, destroyed or desecrated our mosques um, and the minarets of the mosques. So how does how does the state then um, protect these hmm. the Ahmadis? You see, um, you see, Sheikh Saib, uh, Muslims here in Europe yeah. they protest against you know the minaret laws in uh, for example they were banned in Switzerland I think yeah yes and, and, and minaret the and, yeah. and yes and the minarets are being destroyed in Pakistan so yes. Uh, this is an ironic situation. Um, I'm afraid is. Pakistan is on a slippery slope since, uh, you know, the 1953 anti-Ahmadiyya riots, the Bhutto uh, Amendment to the Constitution, 1974, which yeah. declared Ahmadis as non-Muslims for the purposes of the Constitution. Then Ziaul mm-hmm. Haq. He, now that is that is taking things too far. I mean you know, punishable if you do any acts which they are considered to be Muslim. So this well, is even if con- you say, totally if contrary you say, yeah, even if you say to human rights and civil liberties, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, the Pakistani intelligentsia should, should wake up to what their country is doing to itself. And like mm. I said, Pakistan is, 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 is becoming a failed state because it is heading towards uh, Afghanistan, which obviously is a failed state. Mm. Sheikh Sam, you, you were coming in with some, some point there. Well, all I, was, all I was going to say is that even if you, you know, you're saying assalamu alaikum, which is peace be upon you, uh, even for that, uh, it's a punishable offense under the, um, under the criminal act now. Only for an Ahmadi, not for anyone else. Yes, only for Ahmadi. Yeah. And imagine if a Christian or a Jew... Or a, or a, or even someone who doesn't believe in religion says mm. assalamu alaikum, he's fine. Mm. But if an Ahmadi says that, it's punishable. Mm. So it is My, actually, it's very uh, very sad. Now, yeah. what is? I mean, the important thing is that what is the solution to all of this? Um, and the solution, I mean, Ahmadis of course don't protest. Uh, that's not. They follow exactly the example of the Holy Prophet of Islam. So the solution is what is important, and unless the the world um, organizations that can actually literally have some power to enforce these violations day in and day out, um, do something about it. Um, I don't think there's any hope that the jihadists will be brought to justice. Um, in any shape or form. Um, look what they've done to, to Iraq, to Syria, now Iran. Um, 
Libya, and so on and so forth. So the Muslim world needs to wake up to this. So the solution is for the Muslim world to wake up to it because I don't think passing resolutions and and making these comments is really an answer. Oh, okay, it does okay. have some impact. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no, I think that's a valid point as well. Uh, in terms of uh, persecution, is not uniquely to Pakistan. Uh, Sheikh Sab, you mentioned that uh, uh, the Arab world needs to wake up. As if the persecution goes to other parts of the Muslim world, but not to the Western world. Amadis find sanctuary in, in, in the Western nations. Uh, let's yeah. have a little clip, uh, and then you can comment on that, Azza. This is uh, yeah. uh, what is happening in Indonesia. On Friday, September 3rd, 2021, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Indonesia once again was persecuted. This time, the Miftahul Huda Mosque in Balegana, Sintang, West Kalimantan, became the target of an attack from a group under the name of the Muslim Ummah Alliance. They came to destroy the mosque building and set fire to another building beside the mosque. It all began with the demands of the Muslim Ummah Alliance group who wanted to expel the Ahmadiyya from Sintang. Their letter of demand was sent to the regent who then issued a regent's decree regarding the cessation of Jamaat activities and the closure of the Ahmadiyya Mosque. <clears throat> As a result, the Miftahul Huda Mosque was temporarily sealed by the local government on August 14, 2021, then permanently sealed on August 27, 2021. The Muslim Ummah Alliance remained dissatisfied with the government's decision, so they carried out anarchist actions. They gave speeches against the Jamaat after Friday prayers before more than 130 people stormed the mosque regardless of the police personnel on a standby there. This raises the question of how could the police personnel not be able to prevent this intolerance, even though the government and local officials have known about it. As it's worrying, isn't it? Sheikh Rahman mentions about the police being complicit, the authorities being complicit in Pakistan. Same is happening in Indonesia, it appears, and other Muslim nations. Yes, this is uh, very true. You know, all across the Arab world, uh, I don't think uh, Ahmadis are a um, legal organization. We are not allowed to register as a legal organization anywhere except uh, in Israel. Uh, where we were there before in since the 1930s before the creation of uh, the state of israel mm -hmm. but that is true in saudi arabia or and there's persecution in indonesia and uh, even in bangladesh we've had these uh, incidents so uh, you see now why are they stopping people from praying to god a, a mosque is built for the purposes of praying to god almighty so what right do these Muslims have to stop anyone, uh, whether they are Hindus or Christians? Mm. You can pray in your own way. So what is there? I don't understand the logic of these, pe of the, of the, of these people, these terrorists, or even these governments who stop uh, Ahmadi mosques being built or desecrate them or pull them down. What are they going to do to Christians and Hindus and uh, people of other faiths and Jews who come to their synagogues and churches and temples to pray to God. 
I mean, the Ahmadiyya viewpoint is that all of these places of worship must be uh, protected. And, uh, you know, uh, everyone should be allowed to pray to God in his own way, like Rafiddin. And these, country, these people are, um, uh, are doing a disservice, mm. not only to Islam, but on, you know, also to their own country, because these terrorist attacks, which we have discussed everywhere in West Africa and these countries, they cause a lot of economic havoc, because in Nigeria, for example, you must have heard of Boko Haram, 2.3 million people have been displaced. And, you know, the United Nations report says that in those areas where the terrorists are very active, uh, obviously there's uh, uh, the health services, the education services, employment, economic development, they all suffer. So they are shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Uh, and this is the state of the Muslim world. As, uh, as uh, Sheikh Rahman said, that the Muslim world has to wake up to terrorism, and mm. they have to see what, and you know, if I just... Very quickly, comment, yeah, very quickly, yes. You know, the work which the Ahmadiyya community is doing in mm. these parts, Burkina Faso and Mali and Niger, they are building villages, they are building mosques, they are building uh, water wells, mm. and they are building uh, 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 schools and hospitals. Industries. And industries, uh, yes, we have industry, we have this Technical Masrur Technical Institute, which is coming up in uh, Burkina Faso, if yep. I'm not uh, mistaken. So we are helping the country, irrespective of religious mm. or sectarian lines, uh, to develop economically in the fields of education, healthcare, water, a very significant uh, yep. issue in West Africa. And these people are destroying mm. our work, destroying their own country. Can you I imagine? Think, the yeah, no, these are very good points that you brought up, and maybe I can bring Sheikh Rahman because he's done work in Africa, he's engaged in African countries. Uh, Sheikh Rahman, the, the work that the Muslim community is doing in Africa, I was uh, saying earlier that I spoke to the chairman of IAAAE, Akram Ahmadi, and he was telling me that they had done work at that village and introduced water wells uh, to that mosque and the electricity, etc., uh, for the, for the people there, and not only that, but they also supplied water to a nearby mosque, which is not an Ahmadi mosque. So instead of uh, restricting other people, we are helping other people. Is that you were mentioning about the way forward? This is the sort, of, and what Azhar has just mentioned. This is the sort of thing that Islam teaches us, and this is really the way forward, is it not? Yes, of course. The 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 humanitarian work. That the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been doing for over a, nearly over a century now, and particularly in Africa, where you know clinics, hospitals, and 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 uh, the or as as of recently, these I mean Burkina Faso had the first model village, which has been destroyed, unfortunately. Mm. Um, now look at the look at the voluntary work that the that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community do. Uh, where people actually, doctors and professionals, dentists, uh, they, they actually they give, give their own time uh, without any re demand for remuneration right. and go and help the local people over there, eye specialists. Mm. You know, uh, teachers in, in drones have gone there and, and given their time to educate the local people. Now, that, 
that is humanitarian service. Without demand for any financial benefit, uh, they are doing this only for seeking the pleasure of Allah. And, and th- this is what is required of the Muslim world. So set an example as the Holy Prophet of Islam set, rather than invent your own religion, sought to vi- resort to violence, and, and killing of, of people actually doesn't do anybody any good, frankly. In fact, it, it creates more hatred and creates more problems for the, for the Muslim countries, mm. for the Muslims all over the world. Um, and as other rightly said, you know, you, you ban the, the burqa in certain countries over here or uh, minarets mm. in Switzerland, possibly in France as well. Mm. And look at the protests that the, the Muslims do, you know, over here. And yet when it comes to, to violence, I mean, what would happen if the, if the Christian countries start doing the same to us? They okay. say no more mosques here, no schools, no seminaries, none of that anymore over here. Uh, go and do it in your own country. What would they do? No, there would be riots, I would have thought. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Of, so of intolerance. Think, <laughs> yes. Excuse me. Yes. So yes. The, this 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 whole um, this whole uh, area of intolerance mm. and violence, in fact, yeah. intolerance is one thing, but violence needs to be needs to be visited and uh, and and frankly uh, the governments should now initiate um, and muslim governments should mm. now initiate and try and get this uh, sorted out sure. because it's got nothing to do with religion it's all politics it's all creating chaos in the countries mm. it's all actually depriving their own citizens to benefit from education from from economic be- betterment um, and to do and from and for, from seeking um, you know in in, in Ahmadiyya hospitals look how many people come and get treated over there free of charge mm. look at the education that the Ahmadiyya schools are, are providing to the local populations and and the Ahmadiyya schools have in these countries produced brilliant students who have then risen and 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 become civil servants. They've become judges. They've become uh, they've become ministers in government. So it's it's a sad state of affairs to see that all of these jihadists. What are they doing? They're actually destroying their own countries and preventing their own people from progressing. And that's a great point you make. That's an excellent point. That uh, the purpose of humanity, the purpose of prophets coming is so that they can benefit mankind. One should ask these jihadists that their actions of killing people, oppressing them, what benefit are they bringing? Whereas you rightly pointed out that the work the Muslim community are doing and even our own spiritual head, uh, the Khalifa, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his uh, helper, uh, himself spent time in Africa uh, growing the wheat for the first time in, in, in Ghana, for example, and, and elsewhere now as well. Uh, is that the example that uh, Muslim nations start need to inculcate? And they can only do this, I can see, by accepting the promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Absolutely correct. So this is exactly what the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallam, said. He said, when the Imam Mahdi will come, he will distribute treasures and riches. So this is what we have seen is happening at the hands of the Khalifas 
at the hands of the spread of Ahmadiyyat Islam in particularly these countries in West Africa. We have seen economic development. We have seen water wells. We have seen solar panels. We have seen technical colleges. And we have seen mosques. And we have seen uh, hospitals and schools all being developed on non-religious uh, lines, non-sectarian lines, for the benefit of the community. This is exactly what is meant by he will distribute treasures and riches. And see the work of these Muslim terrorists, they call themselves um, yeah. Muslim terrorists. Uh, I'll leave it at that for the time mm. being. They call themselves uh, jihadists, but they're terrorists. In jihad India. Yes, yeah. jihadists, or let's call them terrorists. What work they are doing, the United Nations report says that they are creating displacement, 2.3 million people in Nigeria, and the country is suffering. There is no development, economic development in these terrorist areas uh, where the Muslims are in control and, uh, you know, the Muslim terrorist groups. And the health care is suffering. Schools are suffering. Uh, the uh, employment and development is suffering. So there's a marked contrast, marked contrast, and uh, between the work of Jamaat Ahmadiyya Islam in these parts of the world and uh, uh, the work being done by the terrorist organizations. They mm. are spreading nothing but mayhem and, uh, you know, you know, what a terrible indictment on the state of Muslims and on the state of Islam. Indeed. And you know, MC, you know, there are many Muslim groups in this country and the West and Norway and Germany, because a lot of people have settled here, they do not condemn the uh, persecution of Ahmadis in countries like Pakistan or uh, uh, Indonesia or Bangladesh, but they condemn any kind of, uh, you know, any attempt uh, to curb Islamic moves in, in the West, for mm. example, mm. Naretz and the Burqa and what have you. They're, they're very quick to condemn this but not uh, on human care, life. Yeah. But not, so this is uh, totally hypocritical. It is double standards. Yeah. And I also, uh, you know, uh, Sheikh Rahman Sahib asked the Muslim world and the world to wake up. I also asked Muslim groups in uh, in England and in Britain and Europe and America to wake up to what is happening in the, in, and they must condemn the violence which is perpetrated against Ahmadis by Muslims. Sure. Uh, last word to you, Sheikh Rahman, in terms of uh, the disservice these things are taking place f to Islam. This is effectively what is happening, isn't it? That their actions are causing a disservice to Islam. It is. And, and, and look at the headlines it attracts in the, in the developed world. And even in their own countries, mm. you know, that... Uh, what are these people up to? But unfortunately, it is the lack of action, which is uh, just words don't help. You know, condemning attacks or um, either by human rights groups or, or otherwise, frankly, don't help. They do help, yes, in, mm. to a certain degree. But action needs to be taken now. I think we've come to that point where we need to take action against these perpetrators. And the only action, the only people who can really resort, take action and, and 
and not only condemn violence, is the, are the state authorities themselves, mm-hmm. because you you cannot you you cannot become like them and start fighting them and 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 do violence with violence or deal with violence with violence, because all all it will do is create more chaos in the country. Indeed. Indeed, the state authorities need to now act, and they need to act pretty fast if they if they really want to save their own countries. Uh, a lot of them are in a dilemma because uh, they are at the behest of the clerics and the clerics are the ones instigating this hatred and right. the governments know that they can't do anything without the support of the clerics. So they're in a catch-22 situation. Well, unfortunately, in Pakistan, for example, the, the Minister for Religious Affairs and the, minister, the minister for responsible for the law and order situation in the country mm. um, the interior minister, which is, uh, both of them have just held a press conference in Pakistan mm-hmm. recently and, and uh, you know, uh, and actually talked about violence against Ahmadis in particular, you know, particularly in this, uh, in this recent issue of the Holy Quran or the interpretation of the Holy Quran. And it's, it's sad that when two senior ministers in, in serving in government mm-hmm. talk like this, yeah. Uh, what do you expect? What do you expect? If the nation is going to follow. Gentlemen, the time has come to an end. Thank you very much for an engaging discussion and Thank highlighting... Zakala. Yes, no, to both of you, Sheikh Rahman and Nazar uh, for you. highlighting the uh, severe situation that the Ahmadis are facing and uh, discussing this uh, horrific attack on killings of nine Ahmadis in Burkina Faso. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much thank for you, having us on the program. Uh, right, we're coming to the last segment of our show, which is the Sports Review. Weekend World. Sports Review. And joining me for the segment is Shahid Khan. He's an international journalist, ex-England international hockey player. Assalamu alaikum, Shahid. Um, How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you very much. Good. The World Cup is over and uh, the Premier League is back in full flow and some very interesting results. Uh, but was it a goal? <laughs> <laughs> was Bruno Fernandes scored a legible goal or was that offside? <laughs> yeah, I think the big bandits have given the verdicts on that and I think I think the verdict comes on the, on the I think side of the Manchester City that should not have been allowed. It should not have been allowed. Uh, yes, I think it is a big mistake. And and despite the VAR and so forth, decisions like this are still to be made at a very high level or the highest level, to be honest yeah. with you, at Premiership level. Uh, and then affecting such a crucial, crucial position, not just in that, this match, but uh, overall in the championship as well. Mm. But it, it, it is. And, and yeah. the, day, the score was 2 1. It is, yes. And uh, <laughs> man, you are on a high with the five, wins in, five, five wins in a row. Uh, yeah, uh, only Arsenal can so it's slightly better that with one draw and four wins. City uh, on a downward hill at the moment. Uh, are they under pressure? Are they not as good as they were with, uh, with from last year with Aguero in their team and all that? I, I think so. I mean, it just puts into perspective what Ferguson did at Manchester United over such a long period of time. And yeah, I mean, everybody has talked about the fact that Guardiola is top coach in the world at the moment, and mm. overall his legacy would be that. I mean, in different leagues he's done that. Yeah. Unlike uh, Ferguson, I always compared with him. Yes. But end of the day, I mean, despite all the riches that Manchester City have to get these results and failures recently, like you said, 
uh, it just amounts to the fact that I think they're not playing as well. That definitely is the case. I mean, the top players in the world around them. Mm. Uh, and when the people like 100 million coming on as substitute, uh, just shows the fact that uh, they're not at the top of their game and how quickly it turns around. I mean, you haven't mentioned Liverpool yet. Uh, but the fact we'll come that to them, United, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Manchester United had this long period of span where they kept producing teams in, uh, year in, year out, mm. uh, just shows it puts into perspective what Manchester City are like, and uh, not just here, I mean, in the cup matches as well. Uh, even when they have rotation of players, uh, the riches that they have in on the substitute bank bench, uh, it just always believed the fact that they're still not able to produce the results that they would have liked to. Yeah, I mean, but they're still second in, in, in the league, but United are now third and hot on their trail uh, with only a point between the two teams now. Um, uh, it very much looks like that City are going to be under a lot of pressure. And let's see how strong uh, Guardiola is uh, in, in sustaining their team's position because Really, it's up to him now to to ensure that uh, City perform. Yeah, indeed, I mean, he did mention this comment yesterday by the fact that he doesn't want to win the Premiership. I don't know what that meant, to be honest with you. Uh, sometimes they just put this <laughs> red herring in the yeah, hat, yeah. Uh, just hoping that it will take off the pressure of him. But, mm. uh, yeah, that's correct. I mean, the, the other teams have benefited from the fact that there were other, uh, also other foot in other places as well. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Manchester City are under pressure from Manchester United with the run that they're on at the moment. Right. And Rashford, the hot pace that he's setting, seven goals in the last seven games, is unbelievable. Run. It is, absolutely. What about Liverpool then and Klopp under pressure saying very concerned after the worst performance? And and to Brighton, think, who are doing extremely well. I was going to say, I mean, the fact that the highlight was on Liverpool not playing so well, the fact that Brighton, the way that they played, must be also be... Uh, really a, a, a big point for them from their point of view and that they are producing this kind of a run at the moment. Mm. Uh, and teams like that in the in the Premiership do come up. I mean, you have the odd results, fine. But then I think the way that Liverpool was played off the park, to be honest with you, I mean, that's what they said. The 3-0 was, I think, they, it was said they, they might have got away with it. But yeah. It could have been a lot, lot worse. Uh, yeah, but they're not playing well. And then, end of the day, I mean... Other teams can talk about injuries and so forth, but I think, like you said, that also Klopp is worried as to the form that they are actually in at the moment. Yeah, but runaway leaders Arsenal, they're playing your team Spurs today. Uh, Arsenal four wins in five, Spurs two in five. That doesn't look good for you today. I think uh, Conte has been found out, to be honest with you, the fact that uh, Spurs got early points in the league earlier on yeah. when they were not playing well. Let's not uh, get away from the fact that. Their players were not filing. Son still not filing for that matter, and everything is left to Harry Kane. Uh, even the cup matches and that, they're yeah. just sort of just plundering uh, through even against lower teams and that at Portsmouth. Uh, but you mentioned Arsenal. Uh, one thing is sure that, that that they are not in the Champions League has held, uh, in my opinion. I think that I said at the start that it could be in their favour, but not to this extent that the way they run away leaders, like you yeah, mentioned. I mean, yeah. they could go eight points clear today. I they mean, could, yeah. With the same number of games in Manchester City. So, uh, and they're all around. They don't, they're not, they, apart from Saka, to be honest with you, I mean, obviously they have other Martinelli and uh, Odegaard playing also top scorers in the, uh, for Arsenal. Mm. But I think the all-round team, as a team, they are playing, I think, the best football in uh, the Premiership at this point. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about other teams later, next time in the show. Uh, we'll move on to the cricket. Now, Pakistan, 
having a bit of a disaster after some really positive PR with bringing back England and New Zealand after them cancelling their tours. And, and great publicity at that. But Pakistan underperformed. And have they got concerns? They should. They could have won games with England and against New Zealand. They were lucky to to get nil nil draws uh, to, uh, to get away with the draw series draw. Yeah, the series against England, like you said, three nil was I think a drubbing, no doubt about it. I mean, they did come close once or twice, but I think three nil was uh, overall. England were the stronger team. You could see that. Absolutely, yeah. I think they're more set inside, and that they. If you mentioned the way that they played cricket, test cricket at that level mm. was an eye-opener for everybody, not just for those two countries. Yeah. But with regard to New Zealand, I think they did come close in one game, coming up to 15 runs, and it could have gone either way. That was a closer game. That was an early, uh, early declaration by the New Zealand captain, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. true. Yeah, yeah mm. you're absolutely right. I mean, mm. the fact that they... But one thing that has to be said that, I mean, Pakistan, with the uh, absence of their main fast bowlers, Shainsha, Fidi and also Nasimcha, yeah. did all go well for them and they had to blood in new bowlers and that was something in, in regard to the bench. So, But overall, I think uh, with regard to test cricket, I mean, uh, one would thought at least against New Zealand, they would have better would have better performance. I mean, I said they went close, but uh, in the end, nil-nil, uh, I think in both, uh, sorry, nil-nil series, mm. Uh, was overall, I think, disappointing from the Pakistan's point of view at home. At home, this is uh, the thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they should have. Yeah, at least, they should have won this series. Yeah. Contention about the fact that are they producing the pitches for their home fixtures? So long they've been playing on those neutral fixtures in mm. neutral venues in Dubai and so forth, and been the better team. But here at home, I think it seems to be that they're taking a lot longer to actually. I wouldn't say acclimatize, but at least get back to those teams. They do play the uh, domestic cricket, but not a great deal at no. home, and that I think also shows. And what about the disappointment of the crowds at the Test series? It was very ah. disappointing. I think Test cricket has always been the case in Pakistan, and I think when the team is not doing well, only at certain junctures, uh, they do that tend to get a little bit more crowd. But they're not sell-out crowds in anywhere in the world at mm. the moment mm. in, that, in regard to Test cricket anyway. But one thing has to be said. I heard about the uh, actual hoops that people have to get to the match, and it's not easy even to get tickets, even the cheap tickets. Yeah. And they have to get get it from one side, have to have it stamped, and then end of the day, and then they go and sit behind these uh, wired uh, fencing cliffs. Yeah. And cliffs. Yeah. Uh, people who have watched cricket elsewhere in the world are not really, the locals to that extent are not great, but also in the ODIs for that matter. Uh, it wasn't a sellout as one would expect after 17 years of mm. no test cricket. Uh, I, pres- I presume the only bright star of the time was Abra with seven wickets in the opening test. It, it looks like a good perspective. Indeed, I think whether or not, he, I mean, these are very, very, very green uh, spinner at, at this moment in time. I mean, obviously the uh, unpredictability factor for the players not having seen him before and so forth it, it does well in initially but whether or not it's like a Saeed Anwar Saeed mm. as well players like that who had a long yet to be seen obviously over Indeed. the longest period Very quickly uh, we, the Hockey World Cup has started in India the, the Barbati Stadium with crowds of 45,000 uh, fantastic India starting well with a 2-0 win no Pakistan but Wales are there what's going on? Well Pakistan have been on the decline. They're the most successful World Cup yes. nation in the world. I mean, obviously, they set up the inaugural World Cup. They won in 71 and so forth, and they're onwards. Uh, the problem has been a decline, and uh, in this time, this is the second time that Pakistan have not qualified. People have asked us the reason for it. 
there was an Asian Cup on which they, it might well have been that they could have qualified, but in the end they lost to Japan uh, 3-2 in a crucial match, and even a draw would have sufficed them to come through to the... But having said that, I mean, end of the day, even if they had been here, the other teams are so far ahead in terms of the pro league that is being played by hockey nations, the top eight nations, I believe, uh, are just pulling away this, uh, those eight teams from the rest of the world. And it shows when uh, when you see scores like yesterday or the, on the opening day, Australia beating France 8-0. Mm. And France, uh, by no means... Uh, they they look like an outstanding team when I first saw them a few months ago, yeah. Absolutely, and they're in preparation for the Paris Olympics for that matter, so they obviously are qualified as hosts and mm. so forth. But the pro, pro league, I think, you'll see has pulled these teams apart and from the others. And so in terms of Pakistan, uh, they, they've had a few uh, hearting results recently, but nevertheless, I think 17th is their about position yeah. in the world hockey at the moment. Okay, Doki. Thank you very much, Shahid. We'll talk more about the Hockey World Cup next year. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you to Thank you. our listeners for joining us uh, once again. Um, and welcome to uh, Daniel Kalon, who will be with us uh, shortly on our shows on a regular basis. And to our guests, Azaramdi, Sheikh Rahman, uh, Philip Ghent, and uh, Dr. Iqbal. Uh, please join us in two weeks' time. This is Azaramdi on the Weekend World Show on Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum.